Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we've only got one new release to cover, Solo, a Star Wars story. Plus, we got a couple of things to talk about in Netflix and chat, but with that being said, let's get started. I'll be keeping uh, this review relatively spoiler-free. Um, I don't think I'm going to spoil... I don't want to spoil anything major. At the same time, I don't... There's nothing I really... You know, nothing that is goes into spoiler territory that I actually want to talk about either. So I'll just keep it generic and general and all that. Uh, basically, this isn't one of my favorite entries in the Star Wars canon. Uh it's I th- I loved the Last Jedi. I need to revisit it to see if I it's if uh, if my feelings are still the same. But um, these saga stories haven't been hitting it hundred percent out of the park. Like um, Rogue One was good, but I at the same time I haven't felt the need to go back and revisit it either. And Solo is pretty generic, really. It, uh, when you when you get down to it, it tries to rely. More on um, the fact that you recognize Han Solo and it references a lot of the original trilogy, even more so than I think Force Awakens. Well, maybe not more so than Force Awakens, but definitely in that same vein as Force Awakens. And I think it's a problem when you're trying to tell a prequel story. It was the main thing with the prequel trilogy. We did, you know, Pat Oswalt said it best. We don't want rock... You don't hand us rock salt and call it ice cream. You want some ice cream? Yeah, I'd really like some ice cream. Well, here's a bag of rock salt. You mix that with some cream and some sugar and then, then, you'll, then you'll actually get some ice cream. And that's what this is. This is... We didn't need to see Han Solo make the Kessel Run or something. You know, it, that's a throw, that was a throwaway, throwaway line, just like the Clone Wars was. But... I get that you want to keep making stuff, but if you're going to do it, make it really interesting. And this one is really run-of-the-mill as far as these kind of movies go. Uh, Basically, the backstory for Han Solo is he was born on a trash planet, uh, got out by joining the Empire as a pilot, but because he always has to do things his own way, and he's a, and you know, he's a, he, he's his own man. It doesn't follow the rules. Uh, he ends up uh, uh, going AWOL by joining a group of smugglers after rescuing Chewbacca, who is treated like, um, like a, that one monster in Return of the Jedi. Uh, he's ba- Han Solo is basically thrown down to be quote unquote fed to Chewbacca. I guess I don't know. Uh, it's a uh, it's something, all right. But that's how they meet, and uh, then it's all a matter of Han and Chewie trying to run a score under uh, while working with Woody Harrelson's character, and uh, they have this big uh, score that they plan to run for uh, um, what's his name, uh, Paul Bettany, uh, who replaces Crime Lord. 
and they have and they get the crew together, which features Lando and the Millennium Falcon, and um, Han's love interest from his childhood, played by Amelia Clark, and. You know how the last, how Rogue One was a heist movie? Han Solo is part heist movie, part western, uh, with a lot of comedic elements. And it's kind of muddled with what it wants to be. And I think that comes from the dual production. They used a lot of Lord of Miller's footage already. But Ron Howard also came in and, and tried to make that his own thing. And in the end, it's just kind of a jumbled mess. And at least that's how I thought. I know there's a lot of people who love this almost more. I've been hearing a lot of people say they love this more than Last Jedi. And I honestly have to, you know, have to disagree because I thought Last Jedi was much more straightforward and, you know, it it was a great progression of the plot and was really dynamic and, and had a lot of epic scale to it and I could have enjoyed Solo um, but I knew I knew as soon as they started showing uh, that space drive like the third time I saw the trailer I'm like oh no they're they're gonna do the Kessel Run aren't they and it's not even a great explanation of what the Kessel I won't say what the Kessel Run is in the movie point is they did they the plot the like one of the acts of the plot hinges on the Kessel Run, and I didn't need to see that. I didn't care. I didn't want the Kessel Run. If I wanted a Han Solo movie, I I would have wanted like like a mob movie almost. Like he becomes a smuggler and he backstabs people and he's a and he's a scumbag. And he joins up with Chewie, and Chewie's the one who kind of humanizes him. Otherwise, he's just he's just a scoundrel. He's not the whole point is Han Solo is a scoundrel. When they find him on Tatooine, he is a scoundrel. He he is a he's a dirtbag. But they've gone, and then the whole his whole character arc in the original trilogy is he comes to make these human connections. And we don't get... He's basically... It looks like he's basically made no actual journey because he's just always like been like that. He's always been a softy and care, wanted to help. And when push comes to shove, he'll help the rebellion and blah. Just... I don't need a smooth-edged Han Solo. I want... I don't want, you know, an egg. I want something like a... Postmodern Dada, not Dadaist, um, but like a sharp edges and c- corners and you know weird. You know, I want him to be complex, and this movie makes him really generic. He makes him more into Luke than anything else. And uh, people have been praising Alden Ehrenreich. Uh, I've never liked this guy. Like I don't hate him, but I've never liked him. I am. How did Tomska put it? I've been watching his videos recently. Uh, violently neutral. I've been vi- I'm still violently neutral on Alden Ehrenreich. He has yet to impress me. I'll say that. And here, um, Brad Jones described him as a young Kurt Russell. That's exactly, yeah, he is more of a young Kurt Russell than a young Harrison Ford. And I, I, he's, like, he's fine, but that's the thing. He's just fine. 
He is outdone by everyone else around him. He is boring. He is flat. He is uninteresting. And, I mean, that's the thing. I don't need to see Han screwing up and being a bumbling fool trying to become the, the scoundrel that he is. I don't need the rock salt. I just want the ice cream. So, yeah, um, that's not to say that Solo was bad either. I mean, obviously, um, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian was great. Uh, solid casting. I th- There's a reason people are demanding a spinoff movie of just him. Because if we're going to get, like, we, we seen enough of Han Solo. We've got Han Solo. We didn't need more Han Solo. We could have used, Lando's been only in two movies. I don't know if there's been anything else with featuring Lando, but it's just mainly, currently, with the Expanded Universe excised, it's just the two movies. Now three with this one. We could use more Lando. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it really is. And I'm like, um, L3, uh, there's a droid, um, that it, that, uh, is... That is uh, sort of Lando's co-pilot when they meet. L337. And she is... She's kind of a joke character. But I got more enjoyment out of her than anyone else in the movie. <laughs> she is my favorite character just because she's a... She's a... She's a sassy droid fighting for equal dro- droid rights. And always, you know, buttoning in and, and making a big deal. Like, the worst part about... Um, about her is the fact that when she and Amelia Clark are by themselves, they're talking about boning. So, like, as soon as that scene came up of the two, the only two real female lead, female lead characters, the prominent female characters in this movie, they're talking about dudes. And I'm like, well, so much for the passing the Bechdel test. And even though I know the Bechdel test isn't supposed to be the end-all, be-all, it's definitely a nice watermark. For uh, what, how, for something to aspire to, if you can pass the Bechdel test, you're fine. You you, know, you can be fine. You don't have to pass the Bechdel test to be a good movie, but if you don't, I mean, it it, it, it starts to stick out. That's all. I also like the uh, production design. The fact that we're seeing a dingy, dirty underbelly to the Star Wars universe. That's always a good thing. That's kind of what the series was. It was an antithesis to the nice, shiny, happy space fantasies that were out there. This is like, no, we're dirty. We're, we're lived in. We're old. So seeing part, seeing that in this movie was good. Um, but yeah, it, it suffers. And even that, even then Amelia Clark has not, um, impressed me as a film actress yet. All of her stuff has been kind of... Like, when they try to make her be uh, a strong female lead in, like, a blockbuster, she isn't all that great. Like, what's she been in um, besides... I know this. There's the the Terminator Genesis movie. Oh, God. Uh, she was in Me Before You. Oof. Oof. Just... Ugh. Um... Apparently she was in an episode of Futurama, too, so... Uh, oh, God, some movie called Triassic Attack? Oh, oh, I need to see this. I need to see this garbage. This looks like trash, and I want it. Uh, 
That was baby Amelia Clark back in 2010. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's... She hasn't... I don't know how she is in Game of Thrones. I've never gotten down... and I've only, I think, seen season one of Game of Thrones. Just because I've never had a... Like, I've never had the t- taken the time to sit down and catch up on it. And I feel like it's almost too late now. But ever since she's tried to expand it, the film... I haven't enjoyed her in the slightest. Like, Terminator Genesis, she was meh as Sarah Connor. Me Before You, that was just an all-around garbage movie. And now this, uh, she's pretty forgettable in it. Like, she's just, you know, like, she adds nothing to the role that couldn't be done by another actress, uh, uh, you know, another actress her age, sadly. Uh, But that's more, not her fault, that's more the writing's fault. So... Yeah, it's 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 fine. <laughs> it's 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 all right. Like I just think it I just think if you wanted to tell a Han Solo backstory, you go this is the time to go dark and dingy and dirty and ugly. You and you don't he doesn't need to be a hero. He becomes a hero later. Let him be the bad guy. Let him be a scoundrel. Let there be gray areas. He doesn't need to be chaotic good. He can just be chaotic neutral until he join, until he befriends people within the rebellion. We don't need to just see his character arc in, in over the course of the original trilogy told again, but in his childhood. That's regressive almost. That means that in the in the point between we saw him in in. in uh, in A New Hope, he regressed back into more of a scoundrel role than he even was as a child. I, that's why this thats why this movie doesn't make any sense, if you think about it, within the canon. So, this was always going to be a hot mess of a movie. But not only just production-wise, because of all the problems they had behind the scenes, but just... Why we 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 don't need to keep seeing these same? It's like people have been complaining. Why is it always about the Skywalkers? Why is it always about these same four characters? This is a universe, a galaxy. There are other characters to focus on. Focusing just on this small core group is boring because there's only so many stories you can tell, and especially if you're not going to go dark. And interesting and complex with your stories. If you're just going to be generic, why tell a story at all? So yeah, your mileage may vary. Your parsecs may vary. <laughs> That's the thing. Part they never address that either. Parsecs are a unit of distance, not a unit of time. So as they never address the fact that what is he making a shortcut? Is it a distance thing that he made the run? Is it the the and the and if it's in distance, then well, how they don't even properly explain the the Kessel Run. So yeah, Han Solo is not one of my, uh, not a Star Wars movie I'm going to go back to anytime soon. But you may enjoy it more than I did, so, uh, hey, if you want, you can check it out. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Oh! All right. In order to pad out the episode, uh, because that only took that took about fifteen minutes to review solo. So, in order to 
keep the episode uh, about average length. I'm going to use my time to talk about what I've been watching streaming-wise lately. And really the only two things I've been watching um, are uh, I revisited uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes and I checked out uh, Netflix's Agretsuko, which I'll get into in a bit. But after revisiting the entire MCU in the lead-up to Infinity War, I wanted to rewatch Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes because I remember liking that series when it came out. My first video, my first ever video that I made in the in the wannabe nostalgia critic style was actually about Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and how I was like, eh, it's all right, but you know, but and, but hey, I like, but it's a it's a good show, you know. It's like because I made the thing. It's like no, we're not talking about the Avengers. Everyone, I mean, everyone else is, but I'm talking about these Avengers. And um, it kind of holds up. Uh, the basic thing there is it's a kind of retelling of a lot of the co- stories from the comics. In um, I'm trying to think of a best way to describe the art style, uh, it's 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 kind of like um, the Batman. For uh, remember when not uh, the, it was the series called the Batman, kind of that angular style, but it, it's. Who, do, who did the art design for Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Maybe that'll be give a better, um, better description of what exactly. Cast, we need full cast and crew. Director, writer, we need the art department. Prop designer storyboard. It's all the storyboard artists, but where's like the? I, I, I'm just looking for somebody to be like, who would I? How would I? Who would be the like go to for like? This is why this series looks this way. Who is like the character designer or whatnot? Film Roman. I guess that kind of. Uh, gives you an idea. It is fil- it's a film Roman. Uh, here we go. Character designer Walter Gatiss. Uh There you go. So he's done Ultimate Spider-Man for them. Generator Rex for Cartoon Network. Transformers Prime. GI Joe Renegades. Um, that's kind of the same art. St- it's about that sort of art style. Like um, he also did the character design of uh, the Green Lantern uh, animated movie. First flight. Oh god, poor guy was it who helped design the characters for Lunatics Unleashed and Spectacular Spider Man. So it's like that art style. But the the series opens up with basically the co- a somewhat interpretation of the comic origins of the Avengers. Uh, Captain America is still frozen, so in the present day, uh, there's a gr- they set it up. Pretty decently within the first, there's like there was a series of like twenty five minute episodes um, that were the pre that were like the prelude to these to the series. Introduced all the major characters: um, uh, Nick Fury and Maria Hill and Shield, uh, Iron Man, War Machine, Iron Man and his group, uh, Thor and the Asgardians, Bucky and Captain America in World War Two, Kang the Conqueror, who would become a major villain throughout the series. Um, what's the other one? Uh, uh, Hulk 
and his you know in his introduction um hawkeye and black widow and the whole black widow is a you know is a double agent sort of thing uh hank pym and the and janet van dyne the wasp black panther they're all kind of set up in that first in those first couple of episodes and then there's a big prison breakout and the avengers form to help stop a character named graviton who aside from this series I've only ever seen on uh, the third episode of season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He is apparently not that big of a villain except in this episode where he's almost godlike. And it takes the likes of Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, Hank Pym, and Janet Van Dyne to bring him down. And so they formed the Avengers to help stop, to help stop these escaped supervillains and bring them in. And then over the course of the series, Hawkeye joins, and Captain America is unfrozen and comes in, and uh, Black Panther ends up joining them, and they and they go through the major uh, major storylines of the comics. You've got uh, there's they cover Hank Pym's sort of mental deterioration and how he turns into how he becomes Yellow Jacket. Uh, he they introduce Scott Lang. And um, the Defender, and not the Defenders, uh, the Heroes for Hire, Luke Cage, and uh, Danny, Danny Rand. They've got the, you know, Loki's a major uh, recurring villain. They, they have the Skrull invasion. They have the Kree. They have, they, they, they're able to bring in the Fantastic Four and some of the X-Men. Spider-Man shows up in Season 2, played by Drake Bell. Uh, they do the Winter Soldier storyline. Uh, Ultron, Red Hulk. All kinds of cool stuff they cover in this series. But at the same time, it's not perfect. I'll, I'll admit that. Because uh, it, it it's not as bad as um, I remember Superhero Squad being. Superhero Squad show, that thing, which is really kiddie. This is trying to be more in the vein of a Justice League. But I feel like the Justice League had a better production team behind it and was willing to allow for more mature storylines. This one is interesting, but at the same time, it never really got, went further than average, all things considered. Uh, and of course, it's still, because it's adhered to the comic books, there's a lot of silliness inherent within these storylines, obviously. But, like, when they try to cover the drama, uh, bet- drama the, the drama between Janet and Hank Pym, it's never quite... You know, it's it's never quite as well written as you as you would see in stuff like uh, Justice League either. I think the production team behind that that leg of the DC animated universe they are just just professionals all around. They are they could they you know they just know how to make quality TV, and this is more you know decent kids animation. Uh, at the same time. I was interested. I was. I, it kind of got cut short because uh, they, as it was ended, at, it ended season two with hints that they're good. That season three was going to be about the Ragnarok, uh, and then, and then it just upended. Uh, Twenty twelve, a lot. Not long after the Avengers, not long after the movie Avengers came out, they they cut it off. And 
and re and re made a new series that was more in line with the MCU. And I haven't seen Avengers Assemble yet, so that'll be another one for me to check out. But I don't. But I remember it being more in line with uh, Hulk: Ages of Smash, where it's like lol to random, and 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 I feel like this. So it's crazy to think that this Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which isn't that uh, mature, is the more mature option compared to Avengers Assemble. But I don't know. Maybe it got better. I know they introduced Kamala Khan in later seasons, but uh, I'll have to check it out. But I remember if you haven't already, and you want to, and you're. And you want to see a decent Mar? I think it's not as good as like maybe the '90s Marvel series, like Spider-Man and the X-Men. But I think it's a, I think it's a, a nice higher echelon of the Marvel animated universe. You know, it's all all things considered. And then for Agretsuko, for those who don't know, is a is a ten episode Netflix series about a red panda in Japan who works in an office. And in order to relieve her stre- the stress of her daily life, sings death metal karaoke. If that made you say, what? Then strap in, folks. This is going to be crazy. This is from Sanrio, the makers of Hello Kitty. Sanrio made this seemingly young ad- aimed at young adults, uh, cutesy animated show about a red panda office worker who sings death metal. And it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. I posted when I was started watching it uh, on my personal Facebook page that sometimes you don't know what you want until someone gives it to you. I did not know I wanted a Sanrio anthropomorphic cutesy animal mascot show about a red panda who sings death metal. And has to suffer the slogs of the same crap all of us young adults have to, you know... Uh, dead end office job, you know, uh, unevent, you know, uneventful love life, that sort of thing, and interpersonal drama, and it's really, really, really good. Like, I won't say it's the best, but because I mean, it's, like, if you could, if you break it down, it's not, you know, high qual- high tier writing. It's not like the best writing or anything like that. But the humor is on point. It's it's bizarre and it's beautiful and it's and it's I love everything about it. It it overcomes its own you know weaknesses by 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 showcasing its strength, which is the which is the you know it, it, even though it's limited animation when it when it gets into the the death metal part where she sings, it's like full on like just. <sighs> You know, you, you see her face, and it's like a demon's face as she sings, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's it's. I lo- I want, I want at least six seasons of this show. I don't want to push it. I don't want twenty seasons. I'll take six. That if six, you know, six seasons in a movie. That you know, that's the that's the community through line. Um, God, it's. It's a it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, she even like befriends these two uh, female executives at her office, and they go and they like hang out a bunch of times and become and, and become friends. And it's like both of them are like, oh no, they oh no, they don't like us. Oh no, and it's like it's like beautiful. And and and, and of course she has to uh, come to the understanding that 
oh, oh no, this isn't this isn't what I wanted at all. Like when she starts dating somebody, everyone's like, eh, I don't know about this, and it takes her a while to realize, oh wow, oh wow, we're just no, no, we can't, no, we can't with this, and. I, I will say the one thing that I'm not crazy about is the hyena sort of like best friend guy who's really you know he's the ducky, uh, so to speak of of the series, and it's like I don't know, man, I don't know about that. I, maybe it, it, they seem to handle it all right, but that could go wrong in so many ways. That's that kind of uh, that kind of uh, stereotype, that kind of theme. In a movie, that kind of uh, motif, when you're trying to tell like the best friend who's really crushing on the girl, and then, but at the same time, I think they handle it all right by the end of the se- by the end of the first season. So I'm interested to see how they follow it up, like, w- like w- you know, the, how will they continue the will they won't they thing? Because I think the whole thing of will they won't they will only get you so far. But I feel like if you do the will they, then you. But I think the thing is, once they get it, they forget why it's interesting. And I think a good writer can take a hookup, you know, two characters hooking up, and make it interesting now that they're a couple. You know, it doesn't have to be boring now that they've started dating. A good writer can make, you know, being in a couple interesting. So if you're into cutesy animals and death metal, this is for you. This is a slice of life, young adult struggles like like you know struggles of young adulthood cutesy animal mascot death metal anime and it's beautiful and i love it and i and i want more of it i like it i love it i want some more of it uh so yeah if you please go check out agretsuko let netflix see that people want more of this and not more 13 reasons why which i'm debating Checking out season two of that because I know the first season is garbage. And I hear the second one is even worse. But you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I will on a slow weekend. I know uh, I know Jurassic World is going to be the only new release for its weekend. So maybe I'll do it then. But yeah, that, that's, that's future John's problem. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to actually take a look at what's coming out summer of 2018. Did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Rurouni is a neologism created by the original author of the Rurouni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. actually debating what to talk about this weekend because I know I did a Star Wars retrospective when uh, Rogue One came out and I don't remember what I did when Last Jedi came out but 
Um, I didn't want to. I wanted. I was thinking of talking about how uh, fandoms ruin things more than studios do, but at the same time, like I don't know. I I was going to be something about how everyone's pissing and moaning about Disney ruining Star Wars, and I couldn't figure. I couldn't make a coherent discussion about that. So I decided to let it go unless it becomes more prominent. Maybe by the next episode of Star Wars, it'll be a, something I can talk about. But for right now, it's it's still... I don't have a coherent discussion of why they're wrong or 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 there any merits to their conversation or whatnot. I need more time to sit down and... and and um, organize my thoughts uh, about that. So, in lieu of that, we're gonna t- we're gonna take a look at what's coming out in 2018 for the summer. It's summertime preview 2018. So, um, we're gonna try to make this fairly quick because we got three months of movies to uh, preview before, uh, <laughs> um, you know, before moving on. So that's that's 12 weeks. 12, 13 weeks of movie of 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 movies, most of which are like th- two or three a weekend. So here we go. First up, and I'll get more into these um, during the trailer talks. I mean, since it's next weekend, uh, but next weekend uh, we've got Action Point, Adrift, and Upgrade. Action Point is the somewhat inspired by true events, let's say, of the New Jersey disaster that was Action Park. If you want more information on that, look up Action Park and especially look up the dollop about Action Park because I don't know if actually don't know if um I think cognitive dissonance uh, from the puzzle of thunderstorms and uh, no the uh, citation needed but cognitive dissonance um, and puzzle of thunderstorm uh, have a joint podcast that they do where they read crazy Wikipedia articles and I think they did Action Park as well. But I don't remember. But look up Action Park. It's insane. And this is just a taste of the insanity that Action Park was. And, and, and it's driven to more comedic effect. Just remember, it may not have been... It's not exactly like this. But Action Park was insane. So uh, we've got that. We've got the jack, a bunch of the jackass actors coming back. You've got... Um, uh, you know, it's led by... Johnny Knoxville, who and I think it's that's going to be fun. Um, it's directed by the guy uh, who's the director of this. Um, Action Point is directed by Tim Kirkby, who is best known for Brockmire, Fleabag, and Veep. He's directed episodes of those, and so this will be kind of his uh, first real feature film, I think. Uh, video documentary, TV movie, TV series, TV series, video documentary, video. Yeah, this is his. F- oh no, wait, he did the Blind Spot in two thousand three for Italy. I don't know if that counts as a feature. I think that's his first feature film, but this will be his first like real feature film, and that was in two thousand three. So this is being on almost two decades. Uh, his, so. So uh, we'll see about that. Uh, who are the writers? Written by... Uh, story by Johnny Knoxville, Derek Farida, John Atchler, 
Dave Krinsky and Mike Judge. Oh, Mike Judge helped uh, come up with the story. But screenplay by John at Alt Schuler and uh, Dave Krinsky. So Alt Schuler is best known for writing on Silicon for producing Silicon Valley. So wait, what's he written? He's written he's written forty six episodes of Silicon Valley. He's written for Lopez. He's written. The BBC and Butthead reboot, the good fan. He's been, okay, so this guy's been. Oh God, he wrote Blades of Glory. Well, I, I, that that movie couldn't be helped. But he seems to have been known for he he's this guy uh, Alt Schuler seems to be mainly known for uh, working with Mike Judge, and then Dave Krinsky is also another guy who's worked with Mike Judge. Wrote on Lopez, Silicon Valley, History of the World for now. Um, Beavis and Butthead reboot, and then they both wrote Blades. Wait, was Blades of Glory co- like produced by uh, Mike Judge, Craig Cox, Jeff Cox, Busy Phillips? Okay, that's the thing. These guys helped write on it. They must like screenwriting is such a thing where you can help, where you can like do a draft of a screenplay, and you get. Um, and you get credit for it. So it's, it's the same thing with like uh, Jurassic World. How there were like four or five screenwriters attached to it. That's because they each had a hand in penning a draft of the script. But it looks like these that's the one thing they didn't do without Mike Judge. So I think that goes to say these guys are much better when they're working with Mike Judge. Although uh, the, your mileage may vary with the good family. Although I hear good things about Silicon Valley. Anyway, um... This looks like a hell of a lot of fun. Point is, this looks like a hell of a lot of fun, and I can't wait to check it out. Uh, this is probably the closest thing we're actually ever going to get to an action park uh, biopic. Uh, next up, another one based on true events, Adrift, which is Shailene Woodley and, Ca- Ca- and Sam Claflin, uh, who were um, Finnick in... Um, in uh, the Hunger Games and uh, the star that in we all know Shailene Woodley star of Divergent and whatnot, and it's based on a true story of this couple who go yachting and get caught up in a hurricane and have to survive their way back. And I cannot give a damn about this movie. Like this is from the director of Two Guns and Everest. So his last movie was pretty serious in the same vein. Uh, it's written by, it seems like, a brother team, the, the Kendalls, Candles, Aaron and Jordan, uh, whose last movie, okay, they helped write on Moana. Uh, they helped pen the story for Moana. Um, so there's that. And then David Branson Smith was the third writer, who's known for Ingrid Goes West. So, I mean... So, I mean, we're dealing with people who are decent writers, I guess. So maybe it'll be good, but I just, I can't care. Nothing about what I've seen from these trailers makes me care about these these stupid white people who go sailing and end up in a hurricane. Like, oh no, you're, yo, you, you're able to uproot your, you're able to live, live on your own and go yachting at sea. You know, like, why should I care that these two upper upper class white folk, or at least upper middle class white folk, get caught in a hurricane and can't? Like, I've I've seen this. That's I, I don't mean to sound 
condescending because this actually happened to this couple and apparently they make it out. I don't know. I'm not assuming. I'm assuming they try to make it out as best they can, but I don't know what actually happens. But I, I've seen this. I've seen this countless times. Every year we get a movie like this and I can't care anymore. I just don't care. Like, yes, Triumph of the Human Spirit and Survival and... Uh, I don't care. I, I, I don't... I can't... I cannot uh, muster up any cares for this genre at all. So, maybe it'll be good. I don't have high hopes for, for it. Uh, I don't think I'll hate it. I'll say that much. At worst, it'll probably just end up on my blandest. It'll have to be really bad to end up on my least favorite of the year. Otherwise, it'll just probably go completely unforgot, completely forgotten. Um, and the last one next week is going to be Upgrade from Blumhouse Tilt. From the co-creator of Saw. And um, we've got a, uh, a sort of like superhero origin story. But with lots of gore and viscera and blood and eh, and it looks fun so um that one i'm definitely excited for i didn't realize it was coming out next weekend so i'll get more to that in the trailer talk segment uh but yeah this is gonna be fun uh, after that june 8th we've got hereditary which is from a24 uh well the big release that weekend is oceans 8 oceans 8 opens up and that's I've always kind of said, why is this a Oceans movie? It can't be its own thing. But apparently there is a lot of tying back to that original series. Like the, the people who wanted to make this movie did want to tie it in, did initially plan it out as a spinoff. So I'll give it that. Um, from Gary Ross, whose last movie was one I enjoyed called Free State of Jones, which is another movie that, was, that the dollop talked about, about a guy who seceded. From the already seceded Mississippi, uh, he took his entire county, Jones County, Mississippi, and seceded from the Confederacy. It's insane. Guy all, the guy also uh, hooked up with a lot of black women, and so his, his descendants, who are white, were still deemed too black to marry other white people. Because Mississippi is a garbage state. Not not the people itself, but the people who run the state. They're garbage. It's a garbage. It's a garbage state. It 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 it, it has yet to prove itself not to be a garbage state. And nothing against the people who live there, but at, at every point, there's a reason. I think there's a reason Mississippi is like at the bottom of everything ranked within the United States uh, in terms of in terms of education, in terms of um, quality of life, things like that. Mississippi is not a good state. Uh, yeah, so um, this, but this movie looks fun. Uh, great cast: Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Rihanna, Aquafina, who's making, who's kind of like this is her breakout year. Uh, she's got another one coming out this summer. Mindy Kaling, Helena Bonham Carter, Anne Hathaway, Sarah Paulson, Richard Armitage is in this. Um, the only one I'm not into is James Corden, and that's because I do not like James Corden. Of all the late night guys, James Corden is the mo- one I dislike the most. Jam- Jimmy Fallon is right there behind him, but I don't care for either of them. I think they're obnoxious little snots who deserve wedgies and noogies and swirlies for the rest of their lives. I'm not, I'm not even into that sort of thing, but it's like... 
Yeah, I don't somebody who advocates for that sort of treatment of people, but it's like you can't help but feel that way around these these dumbasses, these dorks, these loot, these these freaking hate them. Just do not like them. But uh, yeah, Ocean's Eight looks like fun. I'm into it. Uh, that same weekend, I said Hereditary from A24. Um, this is a feature debut for the writer director Ari Aster. And this is um, the also the debut movie for um, the actress playing the daughter, who I didn't catch. Uh, but this stars Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf as well. Uh, Millie Shapiro is, plays the daughter, um, and this is her feature. And this is her feature film debut. She's mainly been on Broadway. She was uh, the lead. She was Matilda on Broadway, and then she also did a re, uh, played Sally Brown in a revival of Your Good Man Charlie Brown. And this is seems to be about um, what kind of uh, things are passed down through your genes. Uh, you know, like what kind of you know, some, what what is nurturing? What is nature? What is in your you know is is there stuff that you pass down to your kids that are that's passed down from your from your parents and it looks really just sick and dark and twisted and I and I can't wait I genuinely can't wait to see A24 is going to be A24 is going to hopefully going to maintain as one of those go-to independent studios like if you see the the A24 logo Unless it's stuff like Tusk and um, I forget what the other one was. There was another one that they did earlier. But the same thing. Like what what we expected from Blumhouse, uh, small independent uh, story, you know, stories, niche horror sort of stuff. I think A24 is taking the Blumhouse model but allowing for more maturity and more interesting stories to be told. Blumhouse, the best Blumhouse has done so far is Get Out, but at the same time, I think A24 has a much better track record so far. Anyway, Hereditary looks great. And then you've got Hotel Artemis, who is fr- which is from director Drew Pierce, who, um, whose main thing has been co-writing an Iron Man 3 and, Rogue, and, and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, as well as creating the British series No Heroics. And this is his feature debut as a director. And he, this movie is very, very John Wick-inspired, obviously. It's, it's about... Uh, if you haven't seen the trailer yet, it's about a, a sort of... It's like the hotel from John Wick, but it's a hospital. And so you've got Jodie Foster, who's the doctor who runs this sort of makeshift hospital out of a hotel and allows, for, and allows it to be like the neutral ground for all these different criminal, criminal factions. And Sterling K. Brown accidentally uh, ticks off Jeff Goldblum. And so uh, Jeff Goldblum decides to, um, for, you know, tr- decides to break the main rule of the hotel, which is not, to not bring your crime here this is you know to break the neutral ground of the hotel in order to get back at sterling k and uh you've got Jodie foster as the head of the hotel um dave bautista is a nurse who kicks all kinds of ass and then you've got sophia Botella in here uh zachary quinto is going to be in here charlie day's in here this looks like a hell of a lot of fun and i'm all in it 
I'm all into this. Yo, hey, more movies like John Wick, as long as they're good, is never a bad thing. Like, people say, oh, it's just a knockoff. Well, you know what? Pep- I think Pepsi was a knockoff of Coke, and now they're, com- now they're major competitors. Just because something is a knockoff doesn't mean it's not good. That's all I'm saying. I mean, how the, how, what's the, the, how many memes have been going around lately of, like, all the Mountain doing Dr. Pepper knockoffs, and how many people are like, I like that soda. Knockoffs can be fine. You know, not, as long as it's made well, just because it takes, uh, takes, from some, takes inspiration from something else doesn't mean it's a bad thing. What if you're taking inspiration from something good, like John Wick? That's all. Um, next up, June 13th, they've upped the release date for Superfly, the remake of the black exploitation movie of the same name. Um, I'm not sure why. Uh, I guess to get a lead into the weekend, because that's the same weekend as Incredibles 2. But um, this is the feature debut of Director X, who has been mainly a music video director, from what I can tell. Moved from Harlem to Atlanta. Uh, stars Trevor Jackson, uh, the actor who played Easy from Straight Outta Compton, and Chalky from The Wire. Um, I, mean, I, I just say those because I, I couldn't recognize the names. Uh, Trevor Jackson, Jason Mitchell, and Michael Kenneth Williams are the names. But... Uh, it also features. It's going to feature cameos from like Big Boy and I think Ludacris and Rick Ross and a bunch of Atlanta rappers. But Big Boy is the main one, and it's it. The thing now is instead of it's still I think it's it's still the same premise, which is a drug dealer tries to go straight, and so instead of it being and so instead of it being set in Harlem, he's going to use um, it's going to be set in Atlanta, and he's going to try and use trap music. To go legit, and and it's it it could be good. Um, there's no guarantee sometimes with these remakes. So worst case scenario, it's trashy, but it's trashy and unwatchable. But um, you know, it could be fine. Uh, but Alex C T S E is writing the screenplay, and he wrote on Watchmen. Uh, he's tapped to write The Crow. And Sucker Free City. Tales from the he wrote the Tales from the Black Freighter too. Last thing he did was the Last Masters, which is almost completely blank on IMDb. Who who do you, he didn't write Watchmen by himself? He can't have. Yeah, he's only one of the writers on Watchmen. So you know he could be fine. I'll say this: the Crow the Crow remake will have a much better. Uh, much be- we'll have a much better implicate. We'll have a- we'll see a much better implication on what to expect from the Crow remake, writing wise, from this movie than I think from Watch Just Watchmen or Sucker Free City, which I have no idea. Apparently, it's a Spike Lee movie from two thousand four. Never saw it. Um, oh, young Anthony Mackie. That's neat. Sucker Free City revolves around the conflicts among black- white, black, Latino, nation street gangs in San Francisco. And for some reason, the poster is an Italian one on IMDb. So Superfly could be good. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, that same week, like I said, that same weekend is The Incredibles two, and it's going to take place immediately after that first movie. There's not going to be a ten year skip in time. That could go either way. That could be. That could you know it could end up being anachronistic because they want to tackle stuff from the modern day in this movie that's only supposed to take place ten years ago. But uh, 
I mean, I, it could be fine. Uh, I know the villain seems to really like the villain could be a really hackneyed uh, commentary on we need to break away from our phones and technology. We're slaves to the to our screens. He's literally called screen slaver. So, eh, I don't know about this one, but um, uh, most of the cast returns. The only one they didn't, uh, the only one they recast was Dash because the kid probably aged out of it. Then, you, but they've added Bob Odenkirk, Catherine Keener, Jonathan Banks, and Sophia Bush all in here. Uh, at the same time, Brad Bird's last movie was Tomorrowland, so who knows how this could go, but. I like the idea that Elastigirl is the one that becomes the new face of supers in this universe, and so she becomes the bread sort sort of you know the sort of breadwinner. The only thing that bugs me about that is it could get really hackneyed about gender roles as well, and it, it, I'll have to wait and we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. Uh, but I just know that there are some things that, if handled improperly, could be really really bad. Uh, from coming from Brad Bird, but we'll see. And then the next one that weekend is Tag, um, which, if you haven't seen the trailer, is bananas. Apparently, it's based on a true story, and it's about these. Which I'm not sure if that information is available anywhere. Uh, who these guys are, what true story they're talking about. Okay, published in the Wall Street Journal. Wait, no, go to the article. 23-year-old Game of Tag is now a movie. No matter where they are in the world, these high school pals become a target in a ruthless battle. Gone are the days of innocent shoulder taps in the playground. These guys will wake their friends in the middle of the night, fly across the globe to track them on vacation, and even interrupt each other's weddings to get their revenge. Whoever's the last person tagged at the end of the month remains it for the remainder of the year and is tasked with picking up the game in subsequent, the subsequent May. Pen for the Guardian, tag player Joe Timbari explained that the friends used the tags as a way to keep in touch after they started college. Over time, they've had to make some adjustments. Now we're a grown man. We don't run like Usain Bolt, so subterfuge and collusion have become our weapons. 11 months of the year, we're spent planning. Collaborating with a friend is where the fun is. We can spend hours discussing approaches. It's it, it sounds insane. It's a, a, a par- and this is perhaps one of the most unexpected tags was during Mike's father's funeral. During the service, he felt a hand on his shoulder and turned to find Joe mouthing, "You're it." Afterwards, he said his father would have approved because he found our game hilarious. So this is probably just this is probably not a full encapsulation of if you actually knew these guys, but it looks like. It looks like a hell of a ride, nonetheless. Um, I forget who's uh, writing and directing it. Um, but we've got an uh, excellent cast. Jer- Ed Helms, Jeremy Renner, uh, John Hamm, Isla Fisher, Rashida Jones, Hannibal Burris, um, Leslie Bibb, Brian Dennehy's going to be in here, um, Sebastian Maniscalco, and uh, Jake Johnson. That this is a hell of a cast, and then uh, you got Jeff Tomsick as the director, who is best known for directing the T.J. Miller comedy special, as well as the Big J. Elgerson one episodes of The Detour, Idiot Sitter. He's been direct. He's mainly directed uh, comedy specials for the most part, and then uh, TV. Like he's directed a couple episodes of Broad City, 
uh, the Comedy Central series, This Is Not Happening, and then a bunch of short films. So he's mainly a stand-up director, and this seems to be his first real, like, um, feature-length film, sort of, uh, thing that uh, that he's directing. And then he's got, and then we've got a screenplay by Mark Stylin and, and Rob McKittrick. Rob McKittrick wrote on Waiting and um, Waiting and uh, yeah, he wrote the movie, he helped write the movie Waiting uh, from 2006, I want to say, was that? It? it was 2005, almost. Uh, and then Mark Stylin is known for um, let's see episode, writing episodes of Shameless The Pooch and the Pauper Mozart in the Jungle and The Settlement was his first film in 1999 uh, John C. Riley, William Fickner Kelly McGillis movie uh, never heard of it but this seems to be his first, his second feature film uh, and then it looks like fun. It looks like a hell of a lot of fun, and I hope it's good. So we'll see. That's one's I'm ex- that one's I'm excited for. Uh, like I said, June twenty second, only new release is Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, and I am not a fan of Jurassic World. It's not one I, I ever plan on going back to in the Jurassic Park. Like it's not as I don't know which I find worse: Jurassic Lost World or Jurassic World. I do know Jurassic Park is the best one still. But I don't know how I would rank the sequels. I think I'll have to go back and revisit them to be sure. But, uh, yeah, this, the last one suffered a lot from the whole forced 40s, like, tete-a-tete romance between Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. It was, it was god-awful. I don't know why they wrote it like that. It's such garbage. And it seems like that's who... It's, conti- it's continuing from that. Colin Trevorrow is still writing, and Derek Connolly. And I think my, if 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 this is as bad, if I if the parts that I if this if I find this as bad as the parts I didn't like about Jurassic World, I know who to blame. So we'll see about that. Um, funny enough, Colin Trevorrow stepped down from directing this so he could direct the Book of Henry. Fun fact. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, it, the four writers from the last movie are paired down to just two, Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly. Um, the director is Spanish director J.A. Bayona, Bayona, I believe I pronounced it, Bayona, Bayona, B-A-Y-O-N-A, uh, who also, who directed the, who directed The Orphanage and A Monster Call. So hopefully he can bring something to the direction, uh, we'll see about that, but, um, if it comes down to the writing, I know who to blame. And, yeah, the premise looks stupid as hell. So, hey, it could be fun. I'm calling maybe, but who knows? This franchise has gone completely off the rails right now. Um, all right, end of June. Last movies of June, we see Sicario, Day of the Soldado, which I don't get why they just didn't call it, keep calling it Sicario, Soldado, Chapter 2, Soldado, or something. They, they, this has gone through some weird subtitle changes. But uh, I never, I barely remember the first one. I've seen it twice. I don't remember it at all. Uh, but Taylor Sheridan is returning as the writer. 
Uh, and then Villeneuve, Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve, who has been replaced with Stefano Salima, who's an Italian director who, uh, I think this is going to be his first English language um, uh, production. So we'll see about that. But they, they're trying to go for a Logan-style uh Dark, you know, dark anti-hero, you know, takes a young... I mean, this goes all the way back to freaking uh, Leon the Professional. So, maybe? I don't know. I never cared enough about the first movie to give it, you know, give a damn about the sequel. So, we'll I'll have to revisit both of them. Revisit that one in the lead-up to the sequel. And then, Uncle Drew. Based on the commercial starring Kyrie Irving... We've got the director of Drumline and Mr. 3000, whose last movie was from this January as a made-for-Netflix movie called Stepsisters. Its genre is dance comedy. Writer's last movie was, was a Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville movie from 2016 that nobody's ever heard of. And most of the cast is basketball players. There is no way this can go right, but it can be really bad and fun. This could be a so bad it's good movie. Because I cannot imagine this being a genuinely good movie. So, like, is, has there ever been a movie inspired by a commercial that has been good? You can, you can like Space Jam. I'm not saying you can't like Space Jam. But Space Jam is not good. You can't say Space Jam's a good movie. That is a lie. So, yeah, it's... <laughs> Uncle Drew is going to be something, all right? And, uh, yeah, after that, we've got uh, Independence Day weekend here in America. July 4th, we've got The First Purge. Uh, interesting series trajectory for this whole thing. We started with A House Invasion then turned into survivor horror, and then it became a political commentary in the, in the lead-up to Donald Trump's election. And now we've gone back to a prequel where Marissa Tomei decides that it's a good idea for a social experiment to make all crime legal for one day a year. And then she's shocked that the U.S. government makes, uses that to, make, to, to attack political opponents. Like, what did you think was going to happen, lady? You're a terrible sociologist. So it's, it's stupid, but as long as it's fun, who cares? So I'm willing to give it a shot, but I'm not having, I don't have any high expectations for it. That same weekend, on July 6th, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I'm assuming this takes place just before the events of Infinity War, maybe concurrently with Black Panther. Uh, I'm glad that Evangeline Lilly is finally getting to take the mantle of the Wasp now. Um, it also introduces uh, the another Hank Pym character, another Pym particle user from the comics, Goliath. Although Goliath seems to be in the same vein as uh, young Hank Pym in that uh, they, they that he's older now, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And it should be fun. It looks like it's the same people from the last movie um, who came in after Edgar Wright. So maybe now that it's not a conflicted uh, production, maybe it can, maybe it's you know more coherent. It'll be better. So we'll see. I'm excited. I'm I love 
it looks like they're playing a lot more with the size stuff again, so, which is always the best part, which is the best part of the first movie. So we'll see. Uh, July 13th brings us Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation. Hate that subtitle. Um, there's, like, you could, I, I, I'd have to take a few, I'd have, probably have to take about an hour, but I could probably come up with, like, five, you know what, for that episode, I'm going to come up with five different subtitles better than Summer Vacation. And show that they, show just how little of a damn these Sony gave about this movie. So I never saw the first two movies. Uh, this one has Van Helsing, which I feel like probably shouldn't have been given away in the trailer. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, if, if it was between this and the Emoji movie or Gandhi Tartakovsky's Popeye movie, I would have taken the Popeye movie. So I'm going to revisit the first two movies. And maybe this, I don't know if this will be any good, but we'll see. And then that same weekend, we see Dwayne Johnson's Skyscraper. Which is basically Die Hard. This is just basically Die Hard. Die Hard on steroids. That's what this is. People were thinking, whoa, what is this, Towering Inferno or something? No, this is Die Hard on steroids. And I don't know. I think this is from the director of Central Intelligence and We're the Millers. But I, and so I don't, I don't think we can expect anything good from this. But if it's fun and entertaining, even if it's stupid, it should be fine. We'll have to wait and see. If it's so stupid that, that I can't that I have to laugh at how bad it is, that's they may be so bad it's good, but who knows? Who knows what we'll expect from that what to expect from this. Next weekend after that, July twentieth, we have the Equalizer two, which I did not see coming. I did not expect another movie. The Equalizer, for those who don't remember, was basically Denzel Washington as the Punisher. That's Basically, what happened in that movie? Uh, Denzel Washington becomes a gritty vigilante murderer. He's a trained assassin who becomes a vigilante murderer, taking down criminals after um, he finds out uh, there's a sex trafficking ring. And then this time, it's personal because he went after they went after one of his friends. And I don't know. It, uh, Antoine Fuqua is back as the director, which is good. Um, so maybe uh, I'll have to revisit the Equalizer. I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't get into it the first time around. Maybe uh, I'll rewatch. I'll like it more. Who knows? Uh, but we'll see. That same weekend also brings us Mamma Mia. Here we go again, which means I have to actually go back and watch the original Mamma Mia. Hooray for me! Um, yeah, I never saw the first one. I've only heard negative things about it. This one is one of those sort of... This is part of that exploitation genre I brought up a couple weeks ago. And it seems like they're just rehashing the Apple songs, which play nothing into the plot. The premise of the songs don't play anything into the plot. They're just there like someone's iPod went on shuffle and everyone started singing along. And now they're trying to do like a Godfather 2 style pre-sequel where it's like we flashback to young... Uh, Meryl Streep played by Lily James and then we're also continuing the story forward. It's the godfather of mommy musicals and I don't know why it exists. So, we'll see. We'll wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, and then the other one that weekend, uh, unless something's changed, is uh, Unfriended Dark Web. For those who don't remember, Unfriended was a horror movie from 2016, I want to say. Originally made and released in Germany at, in 2014 about 
a couple of kids, or it wasn't made, it wasn't, it can't have been made in Europe. Those were all American kids, unless they, hold on. Now I'm, because I know it was released in Europe previously, because that's when Fela's talked about it. It was in 2014 uh, with the German release. English, filmed in Santa Clarita, California. So it was released in Europe before it saw release in America. That is insane. And it makes sense because this is a garbage movie. Like, I... Apparently this was later... Okay, this was released in 2015 in the United States. But it was released in Germany in 2014 in Europe. And yet... And yet... Three years later... Four years later, they decided to make a sequel. I don't know why. I don't know. It was a terror. It was a bat. It wasn't. It was better than Friend Request. I'll give it that. But we didn't need a sequel to Unfriended. Same writer, uh, who was the writer of the Grudge remakes and the Texas, and the writer of the Grudge remakes and the Texas Chainsaw 3D movie is directing it in his feature debut. I don't know why this is real. I don't know why this is happening. Did anybody care about Unfriended enough to have a sequel? But apparently this is the, this is the writer's baby, so he, he wants more of it, so that's what we're going to get. So, next weekend, end of July, July 27th, we've got Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, I loved Ghost Protocol. I wasn't as into Rogue Nation, and... I'm, I'm starting to see some stretch marks in this franchise. Like, there's only so far you can go with this premise before you start pushing it too far. And I'm not sure if this is gonna. I don't know how much you know bigger we can go and more inter- and you know deeper we can go into the, this idea of espionage before it just reaches ludicrous speed. You know. So we'll have to wait and see. It'll be interesting to see if that mustache was worth having a spat between Paramount and Warner Brothers over because yeah this is the mustache that this is the mustache that cost Justice League an extra million dollars or so to patch out during reshoots uh so yeah who knows um the other one that weekend Teen Titans go to the movies I've eased up on the show I realize it's not for me and it's not a terrible show it's not a good show, but it, it, like like most shows, it has moments. Like I do remember the clip of the characters interacting with their um, voice actors. It was a neat little nod to them because I I love those voice actors, uh, and it, it's so it, it has some fun. But I feel like if it was better, if they had better writers, it would be more in line with a dead. It wants to be like a Deadpool style meta humor joke show. But it never had the right writers for that to work. And so even though I've eased up on it, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm still going to critique it as I would anything else of its oeuvre. So this is going to be the first Cartoon Network movie in theater since the Powerpuff Girls. They finally had the confidence to do it and it's with Teen Titans Go, which only exists, which only is popular on their network because they won't air anything else. So... We'll see. We'll see how well it does. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it bombs just because it needs to remind uh, Cartoon Network that 
you can't just pump something out on the network and expect people to pay money to see it in theaters. Which I think they're making the same joke that The Simpsons already made twice. That, oh, you're paying money to see this in theaters when we can see it on TV? Yes, we get it, movie. Be smarter. Um, yeah, The Simpsons recycled that joke twice. Once in a, there was once in an episode, and then they reused that joke for the movie. For The Simpsons movie. Um, it'll be just, and yeah, the, the whole thing now is they, they revealed in the, the, sec, the official trailer that it's going to be Deathstroke as the main villain. And I don't know how I feel about that because having him as the villain in the original Teen Titans series was so iconic that I feel like you're still that you're basically still pouring salt in the wound of the of the fanboys who never got that closure for the Teen Titans that they wanted. Uh, Will Arnett is playing Deathstroke, so that means he's played both Batman and Deathstroke in an animated form. So that's fun. And then Nicolas Cage gets to play Superman. He finally gets, after decades of wanting to play Superman and his failed shot in the 90s, Nicolas Cage finally gets to be Superman. Also, Little Yachty, Lil Yachty is Green Lantern. And I think that says everything you need to know about this, what to expect from this movie. Lil Yachty is playing Green Lantern. That's basically the Teen Titans go to the movies in a nutshell. So, uh... After that, after uh, that, we head into August, and August opens up with like a truckload of movies. First, because we've got Christopher Robin, which is Disney's uh, uh, sort of return to form for Winnie the Pooh, where it's like Christopher Robin's all grown up and he has to rediscover his childhood, and so they bring into the the Hundred Acre Wood kind of revitalizes his childlike wonder and whatnot. So I don't know. Uh, it's the same. It's about the same time they released Pete's Dragon, which means they probably don't have a lot of confidence in it. But I hope it's good. Uh, then you've got The Darkest Minds, which is a young adult kids with superpowers sort of movie. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I do, I'm down for that. It was. It was one of the conceits I gave uh, Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children, uh, Home for Peculiar Children, whatever Miss Peregrine's. It's want to be Victorian X-Men bullcrap. Um, but this, I don't know. It, it could be good. Um, teens, with, teens with superpowers, I'm, I'm okay with uh, as a genre. Amanda Stenberg, she's always good. Uh, it's, good to see, it's always good to see her. We've got the writer of Wayward Pines and Good Behavior. Uh, and then it's directed by the animator, animation, the animator Jennifer U. Nelson. Who is best known for directing the Kung Fu Panda sequels? So this is a hard, this is definitely a hard maybe because I know this could go bad in any number of ways, but I am hopeful that it's good. After that, we've got the Spy Who Dumped Me, which is a terrible title, but it could be a fine film. Um, it's Mila Kunis and. Uh, Kate McKinnon as friends who end up in embroiled in some sort of spy and sort of spy game because she used to date a CIA agent. It's probably going to be terrible, but we'll see. Uh, after that, we've got Mile 22. No, uh, we actually got Searching before Mile 22, I think. Uh, 
just quick rundown. Searching is basically an unfriended style shot from the webcam sort of thing, but it's a missing persons thriller starring John Cho. Feature debut for writer-director Anish Chagant- Chaganti. Chaganti? Um, so it could be good. I li- Hey, more John Cho is never a bad thing. And John Pl- Joe is playing dads. I'm so not used to that. Uh, I'm still, I still, I still have him in my mind. You know how people think the, the '90s were ten years ago. I still see John Cho as Harold from Harold and Kumar in my mind. Uh, it's crazy to think that he's a dad. He's playing a dad. God, I'm old. Uh, Mile Twenty Two is the latest collaboration between Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg. Uh, the first one I think between them that isn't based on a true story like Patriot Day and Lone Survivor. Uh, this is about a team of. Uh, ghost operatives, you know they they're they're protected by the government to kept secret, and they you know and they're supposed to bring in a a Chinese police officer, I believe, uh, to who's going to uh, open up about this big corruption scandal that's going down, and they have to get him to a safe house, and it's got um, it's got uh, Mark Wahlberg, John Malkovich, and Iko Uwais. Weiss? Weiss. How do you pronounce that? Iko Weiss. I think that's how it is. Uh, he's the Indian Asian guy who started the raid. And so this is his, I think, first feature film uh, in America. So he'll be good. I'm good. I'm hopeful for that. Apparently Ronda Rousey is also in it. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see about that. We'll see if it's any good. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't care either way. Next up. We've got. Hold on a second. I want to see something. Okay, those seem to be limited. All right. Um, there's a bit of. Um, even though it's a few months out, there's still a bit of. Uh, there still seems to be a bit of miscommunication between things like the numbers, which is my main source that I'm going with, and um, Wikipedia. So, I mean. It's hard to tell what the actual release dates are going to be for some of these. But uh, anyway, the 10th looks seems to be um, – the main ones seem to be Dog Days, which is a sort of um, – what do you call it? Um, ensemble comedy about people and their dogs. I compare it to things like um, – oh, what's that um, – What's that stupid parent? They, they, they made a movie based on a parenting book. Um, I forget what it was. Um, uh, shoot, what was it? Uh, Maybe it was a pregnancy thing. Um, what was it? It was like it was like eight years ago or something. Uh, it's a it's a really prominent book about like parents and pregnancy. Um, uh, forget who it was like this ensemble cast. I, hold on, I think Elizabeth um, Banks was it was in it. Let me see. 
Right, let's head back to... Okay, Spider-Man 3. Let's go from there. That's kind of where she... Me- second Mary Mega Porno, Role Models. Scrubs. Oh, I didn't know she was on Scrubs. Uh, Big Breaks, already a brother. What to expect when you're expecting. I'm ex- that's what I'm... That's what I'm expecting to see from this movie. From this Dog Days movie. It's directed by comedian Ken, Mar- Ken Marino. So, I don't... I think this is one of his debuts, or at least like his second or third or something. But I don't think that's going to make it any good. Uh, that same weekend, we've got uh, The Meg from John Turtletob, who is uh, best known for... Uh... Oh, God. Apparently, he, uh, he... Let me pull up his IMDb. Apparently, he helped uh, produce a Rush Hour TV pilot. Um... He directed Phenomenon, While You Were Sleeping, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Last Vegas was his, his was the was his last movie before this, National Treasure, The Kid. So yeah, this guy's gonna direct a movie about a megalodon. For those who don't know, megalodon are the giant killer sharks that uh, they tried to say, oh, but what if these were still alive? Giant shark movie. That's what that's what we're getting. Oh boy. That's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Um, see, this is where the this is where the split comes in. August tenth on the numbers, what we've got is uh, Dog Days of the Meg and something called Blind Spotting, which is expanding wide from its July twentieth limited release. And then on Wikipedia, it says we've got Black Klansman, which is the uh, Spike Lee um, Jordan Peele collaboration. Uh, an A24 movie called A Prayer Before Dawn, which is... I have no idea. Uh, sent to prison in Thailand where he fights in tournaments. Oh, that's right. It's where the white guy goes into a Thai prison because you always need the white guy to identify with. You can't just... Ah! But then it also says, like, Animal Crackers, which was that... Some stupid animated kids movie from last year that never that keeps getting pushed back is coming out. So, I don't know what's coming out the August 10th, ultimately. I know The Meg is coming out, and I know Dog Days is coming out. And apparently, Blind Spotting is coming out, uh, wide, is coming out wide. Uh, Blind Spotting, for those who don't know, is a collaboration between David Diggs and Rafael Casal. And it's um, a dark drama with some comedic elements about race relations in America. And it's, it, it's, it, it's very much in, in line with a lot of the conversations we've been having recently as a, as, a, as a society. So I'm interested to see that when it comes out, uh, whenever I get a chance to see it. But I cannot tell what all is coming out August 10th. Uh, next, week is a, next week is a bit more clear-cut. We've got Crazy Rich Asians on August 15th, uh, which is based on a book, which I know is based on a book, I believe. Uh, let me double-check. Based on Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. Uh, basically, an American, a Chinese-American... Uh, starts dating a Singaporean uh, real estate tycoon heir. Like, he's the heir to a real, real estate tycoon in Singapore. And it's, and it's a... It's supposed... It's Constance Wu and Henry Golding starring... Also, this is the other one featuring Aquafina. But we've also got Lisa Liu, Jimma Chan, Ronnie, Ch- Ronnie Chiang, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, Ken Jeong is in this as well. This is a very... I don't see any 
Uh, I can't tell any uh, white ki- uh, white actors in this cast. I'm sure they're going to be in there as like extras and whatnot, but it's a predominantly Asian-led romantic drama comedy. I think romantic comedy, romantic comedy. Um, and you've got John M. Chu as the director, who sadly has been best known at, for Step Up to the Streets and Step Up 3D, as well as the Justin Bieber movie they did. And then Gem and the Holograms and G.H. Joe Retaliation. So it's good to see him get a good movie under his belt. It's good to see him get... He was the director of Now You See Me Too as well. This dude needs a break. This dude needs a break. Give him something good. And this looks like something good. Um, I don't... like The uh, screenwriters don't have Wikipedia articles to their names. So let's see about uh, Peter Chiarelli is one of the writers. He, is, he wrote on Now You See Me Too and The Proposal, so this guy seems to have worked with uh, um, uh, John, Ch- uh, John Chu before. And then Adele Lim is the other screenwriter who has written for TV, Lethal Weapon, Dynasty, the reboot, Rain, Starcrossed, Missing, Life Unexpected, One Tree Hill, Las Vegas, uh, Life on Mars. So, she seems to be a TV writer. This is her feature uh, debut as a writer. And then the other guy has written for um, John Chu before. And then Kevin Kwan is the writer of the novel that this is based on. So, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this. You know, it's like the same thing with Black Panther. Have more options like this available. The fact that you don't have these kinds of movies out there for people to enjoy on a, on a, in a, mon, on a mainstream scale is unacceptable. Like, why, uh, if, you, if you have the ability to tell the story with, with, you know, people of color, do that. You do that, you know? So, I mean, I'm interested to see it. Uh, I, the story could just be a generic rom-com, but hey, I'm more concerned about its cultural impact than its overall quality, you know? If it's good, great. If it's not, it, you know, more movies like this is not a bad thing. Uh, and then that same weekend, the 17th, we see Alpha, which is the sort of caveman origin of the dog domestication story that was pushed back for an entire year. Uh, I'm That may be a thing for me. I want it to be more like uh, there was this movie called Quest for Fire, which is almost entirely silent. But because because it was dealing with prehistoric man and that didn't deal with any languages, I want it to be something like that, or uh, have some kind of arcane proto language. I don't. Want, but the second trailer am fisted all of this narration into it, and I don't want it. I don't want that. Please no. Uh, so we'll have to see how it turns out in August. That same weekend, we've got the Happy Time Murders. Which you may know is getting sued by Sesame Street. That's right. Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. Son or grandson? Let me see. Let me double check uh, the relation. I know he's in the Henson family. Okay, he's got to be the son. He's, a lot, he's much older than I expected. Uh, he, he's, um, he has been a producer. Uh, apparently he uh, helped puppeteer on Labyrinth. But he's been a producer for the last bunch of Muppet movies. Um... Oh God! He oh, that's right. Henson executive produced on the Star, a really awful 
Christian movie for Sony. Farscape, um, Ventures of Elmo and Grouchland. This guy's been working with Sesame Street. He's a Henson. Apparently they're doing a remake of Labyrinth. I don't know if I want. Uh, let's see, director. Happy Time Murders. Uh, Sid the Science Kid. Word Party. Tinseltown. The Scrumps. Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Jack and Beanstalk. The Real Story. I do remember that miniseries. Apparently that was a Henson co-production. Apparently he directed Dinosaur. A couple episodes of the Dinosaur series for ABC. So he directed them up at Christmas Carol. So, I mean, this guy's worked with... with with Sesame Street. Why are they suing him? Are they suing him just because they, because of the line, no Sesame, all street? Like, people are going to confuse the fact that it's Muppet, that it's puppets with Sesame Street as though we've never had naughty... Did Sesame Street sue over Avenue Q as well? Like, get over yourselves. God. Anyway, um, I'm excited for this. I know some people are, like, some people are saying, oh, God, so, so, you know, dirty puppets. Haven't seen this before. And I'm like, if, if you assholes did, were the ones praising Sausage Party, I'm going to knock you upside the head. I'm going to knock you upside the head if, if you're going to be like, Sausage Party is some brilliant masterpiece, but Happy Time Murders is cliche and, and, and unfunny. Yeah. I'd much rather watch Happy Time Murders than Sausage Party. Sausage Party is garbage. Absolute garbage. Uh, so I'm interested to see. If it, I hope it's better than Sausage Party. If, it's just, if this is just as bad as Sausage Party, I'll absolutely call it out. I'm just hopeful. I'm just hoping for the best, folks. Uh, and then last that weekend is three seconds from the writer of Triple Nine and Patriots Day... And the director of Escobar, Paradise Lost, comes something that seems to have no real actual marketing presence, but is slated to, for release on the calendar. So that's always a good sign. Joel Kinnaman, Clive Owen, and Rosamund Pike with Common. Uh, Ex-Con tries to infiltrate the mob uh, while he's, uh, while, you know, by being sent into a max security prison. I have no idea about this. I don't even see a trailer released yet, so... We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. And then next weekend, we've got... Uh, the weekend after that, August 24th, is Axel, AXL, which is uh, which is some sort of kid in this pet monster movie. Only the pet monster is a robo-dog. Uh, the writer-director's last movie was something about uh, off-roading, uh, off-road motorcycling called Miles. The one this reminds me the most of is Monster Trucks. It can't, I'm hoping it's better than Monster Trucks, but this seems to be in that same vein, and they wouldn't release it in August if it weren't for a good reason. So, we'll see. The monster effects look better than Monster Trucks, which were absolutely cartoonish. Uh, but I don't know about this. This this could probably is going to play out like that um, Max Steel movie that they tried to do. Um then we've got a Keanu Reeves sci-fi mystery about cloning called Replicas. Uh, unfortunately, the don't, I, would, I would say avoid the trailer because the trailer gives everything away. Um, this is from the writer of The London Has Fallen and the director of the 2008 movie Traitor, which was a Don Cheadle movie uh, about, um, like, uh, I think as a spy thriller? Let me double check. Traitor. Uh, but that was his last feature film that I saw. I think after that... 
uh, uh, the guy's been mainly doing TV. Jeffrey Nakmanoff, um went straight. IRL FBI agent Roy Clayton heads up the investigation into a dangerous international conspiracy, all clues in the lead back to former U.S. Special Operations Officer Samir Horn. So that's what it's about. Yeah, it's a spy thriller. Um, and then Nakmanov uh, was a writer on Day After Tomorrow, produced on The Tourists and Hostages. Uh, the TV show Hostages. Uh, his last... Uh, his directing since since Trader has been uh, disparate episodes of TV. He hasn't seemed to be doing a lot. And then Replicas is going to be his first feature film since Trader in 2008. It's been 10 years since the guy made a movie. And he's coming out with one now. And I'm not sure about it. It could go either way. Uh, it's also from that really stupid... Studio Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures. God, I hate that. It sounds like such a front. It sounds like... Like, I imagine if you're setting up a front for a drug operation or some kind of racketeering gig, you come up with the most generic-sounding name for the company. And that's what Entertainment Studios sounds like. It sounds like the most generic front for a drug ring or a sex trafficking ring. Someone should investigate Entertainment Studios because they ain't on an up and up. They can't be. Not with that name. And then the last one that weekend is Slenderman. Oh, goody. In case you missed it, yes, Hollywood did in fact make a Slenderman movie. They took a creepypasta from the internet and decided to try and make a generic horror movie about him. This was only ever going to go poorly. Um, the writer's last movie was um, the last Paul Verhoeven movie, uh, 2016's L. And then the guy also wrote Gacy and Dahmer movies back in the early 2000s. And the director is the director of Stomp the Yard and The Losers. And everything about this just screams bad idea. This screams like parents trying to be hip and with it with the kids these days. You know, this is the movie equivalent. This is a movie equivalent to that scene from 30 Rock of Steve Buscemi walking up saying, how do you do, fellow kids? That's what this movie is. Oh, this is going to be so bad. So we'll see. Maybe end up being so bad it's good, but I'm only expecting so bad it's awful. And then the last movie of the summer uh, months. August 31st, we've got Kin, which is a the feature directorial debut of Jonathan and Josh Baker, based on their short film Bagman. And uh, it's this, basically, this kid who was adopted by Dennis Quaid, um, this black kid, who stumbles upon an alien weapon. And after his, um, his adoptive brother is released from jail... And uh, is threatened by a group of thugs led by James Franco. The kid uh, uses the gun to help protect his brother. And along the way, they end up uh, meeting Zoe Kravitz, I guess, as a love interest for the brother. Um, then you've also got Carrie Coon as like a police chief or something. She's in there. Uh, so this is she's got two movies coming out this year. She was just in uh, Infinity War as well as um, Proxima Midnight. And, yeah, um, excellent special effects. I'm interested to see uh, how this turns out for them. I've got high hopes. Uh, We'll wait and see. That comes out uh, August 31st. 
Um, I don't know if I should count all the way till September. I feel like September, the month itself, is more starting to get more in line with the autumn year, you know, autumn sort of uh, quarter, you know, heading into the winter quarter sort of thing. Um, so yeah, those are the those are the movies of t- summer twenty eighteen. Um, my most anticipated uh, number one since I forgot since I realized since they updated it and announced the release date. Up, uh, well, number seven, uh, upgrade. Really excited for that. I hope it's a. I really hope it's a lot of fun. Uh, number six, Christopher Robin. I I I've watched the second trailer for the official trailer, and it seems to be. It, it seems to be a better version of what they try to do with, like, the Smurfs and uh, what they just did with Peter Rabbit. I hope it's better than that, because, but at the same like, it's also got Jim Cummings continuing to voice Pooh and Tigger, so that's great. Um, Ewan McGregor looks, looks good in it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm hopeful it's good. Uh, number five, Hereditary. A24 has been knocking it out of the park lately. I can't wait to see how, that's, how this turns out. Uh, number four, Happy Time Murders. I just love the bizarreness of it. Like, I feel like this is the first movie to really tap into what worked about Avenue Q um, to an extent, and I want more of that. I want, like, I know Wonder Shows and tried it as well, but it only lasted a couple of seasons on MTV. But I want, I want Happy Time Murders to be good, and I want it to succeed because I feel like, you know, puppetry should not be just completely forgotten now that we have CG. We should allow for these kind of, you know fun niche films out there. Uh, number three, Ocean's 8. Looks great. Looks phenomenal. Looks great. Uh, I don't care. I like The only thing I don't care about is the fact that it's tied into the Ocean's franchise. Otherwise, it looks fun. So we'll see. Number two, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, this normally would be number one just because of all the hype coming off of Infinity War. And this looks phenomenal. I really, I can't wait to see how, they, how it follows up in this franchise. But there's only one more thing that's that I'm more anticipated to see this year, this summer, and that's The Incredibles 2. 14 years, and then, you know, it took to finally get a sequel. We got sequels to to Monsters Incorporated. We, we got tie-ins and, you know, additions to Monsters Incorporated and Cars before The Incredibles, which is the one everyone wanted to see a sequel to. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it was worth the wait. My least anticipated for the summer. Number seven, Axel. I, I just can't imagine this being anything better than mediocre. So I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hoping to be uh, proven wrong. I like when I'm proven wrong. But I'm, I'm just expecting a mediocre kids, you know, just like Saturday afternoon, take the kids, uh, you know, take the kids to the movies kind of thing. Nothing spectacular. Number six, Uncle Drew. Just, trailer's not selling me. The only thing I like about the movie is Tiffany Haddish. And that's about it. Nothing else about the movie interests me in the slightest. Uh, number five, Teen Titans go to the movies. Just, I, I know, I just, I, I need to keep my expectations low so that hopefully they can be, they can be overcome. If I keep, if I expect the worst, I can hopefully get mediocre. In return, we'll see. Number f- number four, Dog Days. Just this seems like such a nothing of a movie. I don't know. I don't get why this is a thing. We don't need like if we wanted just anthology stories about dogs, 
Why wouldn't I just sit home and watch YouTube videos? Like, there's no reason to see this as a movie. It's not a good story. It's just skits of people and their dogs. Like, oh, aren't dogs the best? Yes, dogs are the best. We don't need a movie to tell me dogs are amazing. I would much rather hang out with an actual dog. Anyway, number three, Mamma Mia 2. Nothing about this seems like it's for me. So, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll just have to uh, weather through it. Number two, Unfriended Dark Web. Just another one. Just I hate it. I did not like Unfriended. I hated Friend Request more. I did not like Unfriended. Not not a great movie. Uh, not sure we needed the sequel. And of course, I haven't seen a trailer for it either. So they're trying to slip. The, they're probably trying to slip this under the radar too. And then my least anticipated movie of summer 2018, Slender Man. This can only go wrong, people. This is oh, this can only go wrong. So, uh, summer 2018 does not look great. Uh, the best stuff seems to be seems to be few and far between. Most of it seems to be most of it. I'm looking at and seeing middle of the road. Like I'm, ex- I, I I'm trying to think of a, a, a better summer. For re- I think 2015 was the last really great summer release schedule. I think ever since then it's been kind of middle of the road as far as summer movies go, but. Uh, you know, we'll see how everything turns out. And with all that out of the way, we can now move on to this week's box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. So after last weekend's um, up, uh, Deadpool breaking into the box office, it's time to see how the how everything's doing now with the addition of Solo. So let's take a look at the full weekend chart. Um, number uh, looks like uh, what's been dropping. Uh, Overboard dropped down out of the top seven. Uh, everything else has kind of been dropping steadily. Um, uh, so let's get things started. Uh, number seven this weekend was last week's number. Well, it was last week's number six. Show Dogs. Show Dogs is still in the top ten. That's 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 amazing to me. Um, brought in three million this weekend, bringing its total domestic gross to twelve million, and its total worldwide gross to thirteen million. This is a you know, uh, you know, this is a complete and utter flop. This is going to be one of those epic failures to to um, look back on it and be like, why did we allow? Why was this allowed to happen? Who thought this was a good idea? Um, uh, number six, last week's number five, breaking in. Everything's dropped down one numbers. It seems to be like so. Breaking in brought in um, how much this weekend? Four four point two million. Uh, bringing its domestic gross to thirty seven million, and its worldwide gross to thirty nine. So this is more than made back its money. So this is this and a quiet place are exactly why if you keep your budget low and you tell a decent movie or you give. You get, you're able to make what you're telling either good or entertaining. People will come back and support you. This movie has been in the top ten since it came out and has more than made back its money. So good for this movie. Uh, number five, number six, uh, no, number five. Yeah, this last week, number four, Life of the Party, brought in five point three million this weekend, bringing its domestic total to forty million and its worldwide total to forty six. And this is probably a little over thirty million, so it's 
finally it's it's finally made back its budget, but it's but it's not a runaway success. Not the same way Tammy and uh, even um, the boss were. These Ben Falcone, Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy are just coming back with diminishing returns on their movies. They the people are sick of seeing the same movie again and again. So. That's what we can expect from that. Number three last week, number four this week, Book Club, which brought in $10 million, bringing its domestic total to $34 million. How, how much did this cost? How much did I say this cost to make? It, it can't have been more than like 20 right? Let me see. Book Club had a budget of not set on IMDb. Film. Ten million dollar budget, thirty four point nine million uh, overall gross. That so that movie is doing well. That movie is pretty more than made back its budget. It's a success now. It's it, you can consider it a success now, and which is another reason why you not everything needs to be hundred million dollar budgets. Like not every, like low. And mid-tier budgets, as long as you're making a good movie, is fine. You don't need more money. Does not solve a problem. Not not make a bad movie better. I feel like uh, this this shouldn't need to be continually said. I mean, yeah, that's followed up with the Avengers: Infinity War, which is uh, dropped down to number three, uh, seventeen point four million dollars, domestic total six hundred twenty-six. Uh, Foreign uh, global total of one point nine billion. If this can get another hundred million dollars over the course of its run, it'll have it'll have made over two billion dollars. Think that this this has this gamble has paid off in spades for Marvel and Disney. Like it, they've managed to really, really. Break it in, uh, and apparently, apparently, yeah, worldwide, it's already made more than Black Panther. The only place it hasn't done better than Black Panther is domestically. Um, so the the so uh so yeah, it's I don't think it'll top Black Panther, although it may, because uh, it's only seventy million away from topping Black Panther's domestic run, but it's already the highest grossing, uh, um film on the MCU in the world. Like, the three Avengers movies have all grossed over a billion dollars. And then Black Panther and Iron Man 3, Iron Man 3 and Captain America Civil War are the only other ones besides the three Avengers movies to gross over a billion worldwide. So, yeah. This is, Marvel's doing good. They're doing good. They're, they're okay. They're fine. They're good. Uh, number two this week is Deadpool 2 dropping down from number one. Bringing in $43.4 million, bringing its domestic gross to $219.7 million, and its worldwide gross to just under $500 million, which means Deadpool 2 is good. Deadpool 2 is fine. You know, that's, that, that's a $110 million budget, which means it's already almost doubled its profits. So, Deadpool 2 is good. That, I mean, now that Disney owns it, now that Disney supposedly owns the Fox rights back... And they have they have access to Deadpool. I don't know if they'll continue the franchise. I hope so. I hope we can continue more Deadpool, and Disney will just release it under like Buena Vista or um, one of their other 
in-house sort of movies or maybe just release it as a Marvel Studios film? There's no reason why not. I mean, it's making money. Why not? Why not just let them keep doing it and then you just, t- you just take the money now. Now you have the money. You know? Why not? And then our last one this weekend. Solo brought in $84.7 million worldwide opening. Oh, wait. Apparently it's updated. Total domestic gross of $103 million estimated with an estimated worldwide gross of $168 million its opening weekend. Hold on. Let me refresh. Why does it still say $84 million? It says $84 million on the on the weekend page. I guess it's including um, estimates for today as well. Apparently they're estimating $20 million this week, uh, today for uh, Memorial Day weekend to add on to the Memorial Day weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, people are saying, like, people like people in Hollywood are saying, "Oh, this is a failure at 84 million dollars." And I and it's that is the big problem with basing your projections on all of the money. How about let's make back our budget? How about that? How about you make back your money first? You've got merchandising rights. You why are you worried that a movie didn't make back the money when all the money is in the merchandising? So yeah, 250 million dollar 250 million dollar budget. This movie cost about as much to make as the Avenger, as an Avengers movie, and globally, I think couldn't make it back its opening weekend. Yeah, globally could not make it back its opening weekend. Keep the budgets low. I know it was a. I know this was a muddled production. I know it was two films, and so a new director had to be brought in after afterwards, but. This is why you keep your budgets low. This should not... How much did... How, here, how much did the original Star Wars... Let's look at the original Star Wars and Empire. So... Okay. Original Star Wars. Budget... Adjusted for inflation. Crap. Hold on. Here, let's look at a look at the uh, franchises. Star Wars and Thought. Star Wars. Let's take a look at the original. The original's budget adjusted for inflation. Shoot. Um, anyway. I don't know, I even had a, um, had, had the receipt for the budget for, of, of the original Star Wars. <laughs> um, Okay, um, adjusted for inflation, um, film would have cost $45 million 
to make as of 2012. Well, this says 2017, so here, hold on. Um, bear with me, folks. I'm, a- I'm actually doing math at the moment, so let's do an inflation calculator and take a look at the two budgets. So the original Star Wars cost $11 million to make in 1977. Lead into where is Empire Strikes Back. Cost eighteen, uh, estimated eighteen to thirty-three million. So let's let's highball it. Let's say it cost thirty-three million to make in nineteen eighty. So let's take an inflation calculator, and let's say eleven million in July of nineteen seventy-seven. Actually, it was before then, so let's say 1975 to be safe. Calculate would be less than 10 million. Well, thanks for nothing, labor statistics. Hold on. Find a better website. CPI inflation. Stupid Bureau of Labor Statistics not helping me in in the slightest. Let's try this. 11 million in 1975, let's say. That's about where it started production. Submit. Would cost... So eleven million. Wait a minute, hold on. Did I write? That? Oh, I I forgot a zero. There we go. Try this. Okay. Um, two three. So, um, what cost eleven million dollars in nineteen seventy five would cost fifty million in twenty seventeen. Buy exactly the same products in 2017 and 1975, they would cost you 11 million and 22 million, respectively. That's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering why the difference. Is, I guess it's the difference in the products, the number of products. I guess. So lump sum, the original the original Star Wars cost about 50 million dollars to make. And let's do 19, 1979, and. 33 million. 33 million in 1979 would be 113 million in 2017. The original Star Wars movies did not cost that much to make. You should not be going over 200 million dollars with these movies. So, that's their own damn fault. Not to mention the fact that if you look at the uh, the premieres Solo opened lower than the Star Wars A New Hope Special Edition re-release from the 90s. This thing opened up lower than... Like, Rogue One opened up just behind Last Jedi. And if you adjust for inflation, this thing couldn't beat the Empire Strikes Back Special Edition re-release in theaters. 
the solo is so like the only things that did worse than solo were the animated Star Wars Clone Wars movie that they did in like 2011, 2012. When did that thing come out? 2008. Oh god. Yeah, that that lead into the to the animated series and the prequel re-releases. And then the Return of the Jedi re-release. The both of the Return of the Jedi re-releases. So the original trilogy re-releases did better than Solo. Except for Return of the Jedi. Both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back did better. And then the prequels all did better as well. Like the only ones that did the only one of these anthology movies that did better than any of the prequels was Rogue One, which did better than two and episodes two and three. So it's not Solo's fault that you that people didn't want you know, it's not the audience's fault that we didn't go to see Solo. Solo was a muddled production. People people just did not want to see a Han Solo movie. Han Solo, we've had enough of Han. If anything, they should have gone with a Leia movie, a Lando movie, a, the, the Boba movie makes more sense because we've only seen Boba Fett three times. Once as a baby, once as a bounty hunter in episode five, and once dying into and by going into the Sarlacc pit. You know what would be a good movie is if you have a, a sort of revenge-style western where Boba Fett crawls his way out of the Sarlacc pit and goes on a killing spree trying to hunt down Han Solo. That would be something. That would be something, you know? Uh, there's interesting stories that you could tell with Boba Fett cribbing from the expanded universe and making it now canon as part of the in-movie universe. Like, they want to do an Obi-Wan movie where it's just him in the desert and Tatooine. I don't know what the expanded universe did for that story, but I can't imagine it'd be that great. So, it's not the audience's fault that we didn't want to see a solo movie. It may, it's Disney's fault for bungling it and not making something we did want to see. So, yeah. Solo, di- Solo didn't meet expectations. One cut, cost, one cut costs on your production. It should not be that expensive to make. Number two, don't expect the audience to just, you know, kowtow to you just because. That's the thing. If you look at the MCU movies, the ones that didn't do as well... Were the ones that were the ones that had to prove themselves. Thor, Incredible Hulk, Phase One is the lowest earning of the three phases because people needed to see that there's a qual- stamp of quality on this franchise. And even then, Phase Two did not make as much as Phase Three. Phase Three has made bank because the movies have been consistently good, and the and people recognize this is a this is a stamp of quality that it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Star Wars has yet to do that. The anthology movies are, have not pro- really proven themselves. And the new trilogy has yet to really win back old fans. It's only gone so far as to alienate them for stupid reasons more than likely. More, more than anything else. But it, nothing. But the least the, the main episodes have managed to continue the story forward. And Rogue One managed to tell something interesting we hadn't seen before. New characters with, you know, with only slight references to the universe at large. Solo, we've seen enough of. We've seen... Han Solo was a main character. We did not need his... This is the Wolverine... You know what this is? This is literally the Wolverine Origins 
uh, X Men Origins Wolverine of the Star Wars universe. That's what this is. That's what this is. It they took the scruffy anti-hero character that everyone seemed to like from the main series, tried to give him his own movie, and it sucked. It's not as bad as X-Men Origins Wolverine, I'll give him that, but still, we did not need this. We did not need this. So yeah, that's the box office report for this weekend. So let's end things off with a look ahead to the first weekend of the summer and have a closer look at the June 1st releases. Number one, first up, Action Point. I thought that was a boy, honestly, the first time around. I didn't recognize it was. I didn't recognize it was supposed to be a girl. Your mom ever tell you your old papa home on the greatest amusement parks of all time? Old age makeup isn't bad. It's not as wrinkly as um, his makeup in Dirty Grandpa. Yeah, this is very jackass inspired. Free beer! Real stunts. Real thrills. Ha! <laughs> Hold, there you go. Hold my beer. Real messed up. That's all, yeah. You know, as much as Johnny Knoxville says he's done with, like, the stunt work from, like, um, um, from, uh, from the Jackass days, he, they, those seem to be his main go-tos. He's able to hold up his own with, um, with, uh, these stunts. I'm excited. I can't wait for this. Um, it's uh, like the, the only thing I didn't like about this um, trailer was the whole eh, squirrels going for his nuts joke. That that seemed like just like too lowbrow for me. Everything else, like the stunt work and the and the craziness, seems more in line with those kind of story you want to tell. The the whole like not, the, his nuts, yeah, just didn't do anything for me. So that's uh, action park, action point. The actual place is called Action Park. So, that'll be coming out next weekend. Alright, next up we take a look at that Adrift trailer. So, you can get a better idea of what I'm talking about. We've been to so many places. What's it like selling out there all alone? Miserable. Right up sunburned, sleep deprived, or seasick. Yeah. After a few days, there's hallucinations. 
Yeah, oh, pretty white, bo- pretty white witch boy gets to live on the on his boat all the time. Ugh. Come on. Not you. Do you want to take her out? Anytime you think you might want to do it. Ugh. Yeah, and this romance isn't exactly. Based on the incredible true story. Hurricane Raymond has been upgraded to a category five. Should we be worried? I th- wait, this isn't the Pacific. Why is it called a hurricane? Wouldn't it be called a typhoon or a tropical storm or something? Cyclone? Playing director Baltazar and what's his name? We're not gonna die out here. I, I can't. I just, I just can't. Like, that's the thing. It it seems to be that he is from... So, like, I'm assuming that means he's from New Zealand. Maybe there, this takes place from New Zealand to California. That's what it sounds like. Middle of the Pacific Ocean. So then why did they call it a hurricane? Like, I was always under the impression that hurricanes were used in the Atlantic and Caribbean. Like... Isn't this just a cyclone? Why, why would they call it hurricane something? Is that a dub thing? Did they dub that for Americans to be like, oh, it's a hurricane, I understand that, as though we never heard of typhoon or cyclone before? <sighs> Classification terminology. Why is it called a hurricane? Hurricane or typhoon. The system with sustained winds of at least the cyclone of this intensity tends to develop an eye, an area, blah, blah. Southwest Pacific. South Pacific, Category 5, Severe Tropical Cyclone! That's that's what this is! And even then, if it's like the Mid-Pacific, they would still be... It would still be a a typhoon! It would either be a typhoon or a cyclone! Wait, Northeast Pacific. Maybe? Maybe. Maybe that means it's a a hurricane. I, I... 
I know I'm getting caught up on something really minute, but it's like, what... It, 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 these things have clarifications. Where are you that they're that you're referring to it for a hurricane? Because if you're in the wrong spot, then you are in the wrong. Then you are using the wrong words. That's not how you words. Uh. So yeah, it's. I don't know. I nothing about this interests me in the slightest. I could not care at, at, at any. At, I cannot. I cannot give anything. Uh, of a care for this movie so and then lastly this weekend we've got the uh blumhouse tilt movie upgrade let's see let's take a look another look at that trailer can i have everybody's attention that's right he's a quadriplegic Oh, it's awesome. For the producers, get out. Happy Death Day in the Purge. Creator of Saul and Insidious. Bone jarring. Connecticut ingenious. Pure adrenaline shot of sci-fi horror body... Sci-fi thrill body horrors. Breathtakingly violent. Never stops being awesome. Yeah, can't wait. I'm 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 pumped. And if you want a better idea of what to expect, look at the. Re- I won't show. I can't play it here to keep it clean because I want to keep it clean. But look at that red band trailer. Uh, take a look at that red band trailer and just see how bloody and gory and messed up it gets. It's going to be crazy, and I cannot wait. So. Uh, that those are the new releases this week, next weekend, and that about does it for this week. Which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at SoundCloud.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the episodes as they come out, you can be sure to favorite that main page, and you'll be kept up to date on all the new episodes. Plus, you while you're on Gumby Cat, you can check out all of our other fine programming there. You can check out. Um, uh, Donna's stuff like Beyond the Cabin in the Woods and What's More Worth Feeling and The Family Business. You can check out some of our back episodes of Art I Swear and Maji Day and um, uh, Random Podcast Generator and Tragic Missile. All that's all, all that's on GumbyCatNetworks.com for your perusal. Be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. And if you want to just and if, but if you're a mobile listener like myself, you can find us on all your various podcast providers. I know. Um, since moving to uh, since moving to Libsyn, I've been able to uh, get uh, uh, I've been able to expand from just iTunes and Google Play to Spotify to iHeartRadio. Um, it's been you know so wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to check me out there. If you see my orange mug chopping up popcorn, staring at the movie. You can, you know, and as long as you're over episode 100, you should be listening to the most up-to-date feed. And be sure to like, share, favorite, all, all, you know, um, five-star rating and review, everything. To let people know that you like this show, they should check it out too. And 
Speaking of sharing, you can also share us on your various social media platforms. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the big announcements are going to be, all the main posts, you know, new episodes, when I'm seeing a new release, uh, any sort of major news and updates to the podcast. All of that's on facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. And if you, wanna, if you want the Facebook feed plus some more... Uh, some more um, Interaction with me, you can check me out on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. That's where I am. Um, I'm also active the most on there. Uh, I like to keep in touch with my other fellow reviewers and whatnot. Uh, and uh, that's where I'll also do the trailer talks and munch alongs. And yeah, you can check me out there. Twitter.com slash corn at uh, follow at Corn Junkie Pod. At Popcorn Junkie Podcast on Instagram. Uh, that's where a lot of the main Facebook feed comes from nowadays. I'm um, not sure if there's anything else I want to add to the to the to that Instagram feed. I'll take suggestions from people. Uh, but you can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. You can follow me on Stardust, uh, which has now started to integrate like trailers you can watch and react to uh, through the app. You can check all of that out on by downloading the Stardust app and look for me at Popcorn Junkie. You can also follow fellow reviewers like Jeremy Johns and the other internet's John Bailey with an I, uh, Epic Voice Guy. Uh, the Schmoes know I know do it. The main one I know that uh, does it pro- uh, prominently is is Double Toasted will make use of the app. Uh, I don't know if they post. They don't post a lot, but they definitely use the app a lot. And um, if you want to join in the conversation, have your own reactions to stuff, uh you know, follow other people's reactions. You can do so by downloading the Stardust app, and you can follow me there at Popcorn Junkie. Uh, no more Twitch streams for the time being. Like I said, uh, I'll update. I'll, I'll make sure to say when we get back to it. But um, for right now, just I can't afford to do it. And um, I think that's about all the main social media stuff. So if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of corrections I should make. Um, like last week, I'm not I'm not above making corrections if I was wrong. And if there's anything you know, you want to give your thoughts on what on the movies coming out this year, uh, this summer, uh, what you're anticipating, what you're not anticipating, you can send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and you know this Memorial Day weekend, it's always good to. Keep in mind not only those we lost, but those who are left behind. So, thank you for your service from the bottom of my heart. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. So, um, sorry, I've got the allergies. My nose is all stuffy. Um, and, uh, uh, June, and the June, um, the, uh, hold on, crap. Uh, they had the, I thought finagle with the trailers. <laughs>